Scores from the standardized tests Oregon students take each year are out, and the 2023 results are dispiriting, to say the least. I'm Elliot Noose, and this is Beat Check with The Oregonian. I'm joined today by education reporter Julia Silverman, who's analyzed these results for The Oregonian and Oregon Live. Julia, welcome to the show. Thanks, Elliot. I wish I could say that I was here to talk about something more cheerful. Well, give us a, the top Sadly, line. Sadly, no. Give us the top line results, uh, please. What are what are uh, how are students performing academically, at least as far as these tests can tell us? Sigh. <laughs> um, it, things are not terrific, and the words that I used while writing this story were words like stagnate and mired and stuck. And that's because everybody knows that after the pandemic, as we would expect after such disruption to kids' uh, academic environment, um, there is a lot of academic recovery that needed to be done or or learning loss as it's um, popularly termed. So it it wasn't a huge surprise when um, scores from spring of 2022 were pretty bleak and dismal. Um, but last year, the 2022-2023 school year, I think a lot of parents would tell you was a year that felt close, much closer to back to normal, right? The masks were gone. There wasn't this sort of creeping fear that your school was going to suddenly close because of a COVID outbreak. Um, extracurriculars returned and, you know, it felt to many people like things were somewhat back on some kind of a recognizable track. I don't want to say normal because, you know, we live in a new post-pandemic normal now. So I think there was some hope that um, by the time the um, Oregon uh, assessment tests rolled around in spring of 2023, that um, we would see a reflection of that, that uh, that, that things would, would be a little better. And in fact, that is what we've seen in some other states, right? Not necessarily a return to pre-pandemic achievement levels, but um, a steady pattern of growth in Washington, in Massachusetts, in Tennessee, in North Carolina. So it's certainly possible. We do not see that in Oregon. The scores are essentially exactly where they were in 2022. Um, There's not been a great deal of movement or momentum. And that's, as you said at the top, dispiriting to say the least. Not the story I wanted to write this week. So what does that tell us about um, how students are recovering or or failing to recover from the pandemic and their time away from in-person instruction? Right. You know, talking to state um, education officials about this this week, they've been really quick to emphasize that this test is a snapshot. It's a point in time, and it certainly is not going to tell you everything that you need to know about how students are recovering. And, And listen, I think that that's a really valid point. No single test can um, be looked at as the definitive be-all and end-all. However, this is not the only data point that has pointed us to a lack of recovery among Oregon students, right? Um, You know, and and, uh, there's a, uh, I'll do another story like this in a couple weeks um, when the results from the nation's report card come out, the national assessment of educational progress. I think that's what the A stands for there. And um, I I sure hope they're better than last year, but um, Oregon kids have really consistently 
shown that they are not making uh, the kinds of gains that they would need to get back to pre-pandemic levels, which, by the way, aren't what we wanted them to be even before schools closed in this state for 18 months, right? Nobody is going to be like, hooray, 51% of the kids can read at grade level. We're all done here. It's not the way it works. And that that was pre-pandemic. Now we're at about 40% of kids, give or take, um, testing, um, achieving proficiency. You should stop me here and say, Julia, what does proficiency mean? And I'll tell you that it means that a, a kid is on track to be ready for college or the workforce when they graduate. So that might sound a little crazy um, for a third grader, but um, you know, school is building blocks, right? Each year you're building the strategies and the knowledge that you're going to need to succeed in the next year. And, and that so points about to the 40... big picture here, which is, you know, the there is a sort of generational effect, right? Where um, the students who are behind today in third grade uh, will, you know, they are nine years away from graduating. And that is exactly. essentially the time that we have to catch up. Exactly. Or please think about the kids who are in seventh and eighth grade last year who have four years to catch up because the middle school results were um, really some of the most, um, you know, flashing red light alarm, all hands on deck here, at least for me. Um, let's see, I told you 40% in English language arts, it's, it's even, it's only 30% of students statewide, give or take across the board for math. So, uh, and that was, that was at uh, around 40% before the pandemic. So, you know, if we weren't great pre-pandemic, um, we're not great now and we're not seeing the most important thing is that we aren't seeing the kind of growth that I think everybody, me included, <laughs> educators, the governor, everybody wanted to see at least this year some indication of growth. And it's just not there. So, you know, what we heard a lot of from the state this week was, well, we're stabilizing. Okay. I mean, I guess, I guess that's good. We didn't fall even further, but honestly, we didn't have that much further to fall. Right. So, so you mentioned that, that, uh, state officials, you know, talk about this as a snapshot. Um, there are certainly some misgivings about standardized testing as a metric overall. Tell me about how state officials, um, how they use this result uh, and in, you know, sort of making sure uh, that the state's educational uh, programming is, is what kids need. Right. So, I mean, the great thing about these tests and the good news is, is that it gives us a lot, a, a lot of really great data that um, every district in the state gets to unpack now um, and they can see, OK, um, how did uh, kids who don't speak English as their first language in third grade do in math? Okay, their gains are below um, their white peers or their black peers or or whatever. Well, then that that is the population of students, and they have this on the school level, right? So they can say, "All right, um, this elementary school in our district is a district is a school that really needs help with third grade kids who don't speak English as a first language." learning math. So it does certainly inform the decisions that school districts can make around where they can dispatch uh, instructional specialists, um, you know, educational aides who can help in classrooms, um, 
where they can consider paying for tutors or expanding after school programs. Uh, it helps school districts be able to make those kinds of decisions. Now, you asked about state officials. What's interesting about Oregon and what comes into every story like this that I or any other education reporter around the state is ever going to write is that we are very much a local control state. So, um, you know, school districts get the bulk of their budget from state funding, but the state does not tell them how to spend that money. So um, on on some level, the, the state's hands are not not tied. That's not fair. That's letting them off the hook a little bit too much. But they have um, somewhat limited control over what districts can do to address these issues because they don't get to say how Portland or Beaverton or Coos Bay or Klamath Falls or any other district spends their money. So because of that local control, uh, there are some schools that are trying some new things to make up for learning loss. Um, Are any of those showing promise? Yeah, and um, I'm glad you asked that because um, I've been in such a bad mood all week about this. <laughs> um, our, our our mutual colleague uh, said to me at one point, "You're Yosemite Sam," you know, with with sparks coming out of my head. But um, there are actually some districts that um, showed some growth and some promise, and I want to call some of them out because I'll be writing about them in the coming days. And um, you know, it, it, this is now the point here is that this is not impossible. It is not impossible to help kids. It is not impossible to get kids back on track. There are districts that are doing it. So um, kudos to Grants Pass down in Southern Oregon. And I'm talking to some folks there yesterday. They made gains across all grades in both math and English. That's fairly unusual as far as I can see from the data. Um, Same goes, frankly, for Portland Public Schools, um, which is um, quite pleased with themselves. and, um, you know, has a right to be because they did show gro- growth across all, all student populations. Although once you disaggregate um, Portland Public's data, you can see that um, traditionally underserved student groups, students of color, um, students who don't speak English as their first language, students who live um, under the poverty line, um, may didn't make the, that same level of growth. So, um, and I think the district would tell you too, hey, we still have work to do. Um, but but certainly there's things to be learned from Portland. There are things to be learned from Grants Pass. Um, North Clackamas showed some growth in math. That's a, a fairly large suburban district. Um, and the Scapoo School District, also outside of Portland, um, made some real gains in their English language arts. So I'll be talking to all of those districts to find out a little bit more about what they've done. I was out at Sitton Elementary School today, which is a elementary school um, in St. John's that uh, PPS officials are really proud of. And I had the chance to talk to the principal there. And she told me that they send their instructional coaches and um, reading uh, specialists, they don't pull kids out of the classroom. They push them into the classroom. They have them sitting next to small clusters of kids that they know need help. And um, they're there during the classroom teacher's lesson to offer support when the kids ask for it. That's kind of an interesting model. you know, and it's it's something is obviously working there. Maybe there's something that other school dis- other schools within Portland or other districts um, can can learn so from. You mean instead of um, sort of yanking kids out of class to go, you know, do sort of remedial work, 
because they're behind. Right, right, right. And one of the, so um, nationally, research has, has suggested that the best possible way to catch up all these kids who lost learning after the pandemic is something called high dose or high, high dosage, high frequency tutoring, which is a concept that I write about every chance I get. Um, and if you are a school district official and you're listening to this podcast and you want me to come to your district and write about your high dose tutoring program, please call me. <laughs> um, Jay Silverman at Oregonian.com. Uh, no, but um, but that that idea pulls, it does, it pulls groups of one to three kids out for one-on-one intensive, you know, skills at their level um, instruction with, with what they need. And um, if you do that, the best practices are during the school day, multiple times a week, that can make a difference for kids. It is expensive and it is complicated with scheduling, right? Because you have to make sure that those kids aren't getting pulled out at a moment when they're going to miss something crucial in their classroom, which is why um, the, the sit and push in model uh, really caught my attention this morning. But here's another, here's the thing about um, tutoring. Because we are a local control state, um, Oregon has no statewide implementation of a strategy like that. There, there's you know, the, the state can suggest, but nobody has said to all of these districts, this is what research tells us is the best thing. You need to spend some of your money that we are giving you on this to help the kids who are the furthest behind. You mentioned funding. Um, not only is there the sort of the usual uh, uh, primarily property tax funded school money, but also um, a, a great deal of federal aid, right, af from from the pandemic, uh, acknowledging um, and and trying to sort of head off some of this learning loss, um, and and that's intended to help pay for some of these more expensive interventions. Uh, well, yes, um, the bulk of um, most states' districts actually get their the bulk of their money from income tax funded state schools fund and, and state schools money. Although there certainly are um, about one third of a typical district's money might come from property taxes. Um, but yes, you're talking about. Uh, what we um, nerdy education types call ESSER dollars. Um, and that, that is money that the federal government set aside specifically for academic um, and pandemic relief for schools. And Oregon got a total of about $1.7 billion of that. It's a lot of money, although it has to be distributed um, across nearly uh, 200 school districts. So it gets spread a little bit thinner. Um, unfortunately, that money is use it or lose it. It expires next year. Um, so districts have one more year with that cushion. A lot of districts have used it to pay for things like educational aids, paraeducators, but um, by and large districts have been a little bit careful about using it to pay for staff because what you don't want to do is spend a bunch of money on people and then after three years be like, sorry, your money's gone. We can no longer pay for you. Right. So um, also the federal government only requires a certain percentage of that money to be spent on academic recovery. It's less than you might think. Um, and um, we have you know, I've I've done some checking in with districts about how they've used that money and it can really vary. Some places do spend it on tutoring or summer school. Um, I know PPS put a lot of theirs into summer school, for example. And then there have been districts that have chosen to use that money for things like facilities and maintenance, which are, you know, giant backlogged issues that really do need attention. Um, 
you know, and, and that maybe frees up money to be spent elsewhere, but that's not going to, a new turf field is, or a new roof is not going to help any kid that, um, you know, is four grade levels behind. You mentioned uh, some of the disparities that these test scores reveal in Portland public schools. Um, and can you, can you talk a little more about um, the disparities that you have seen um, in Portland and elsewhere? And um, is there a risk of those um, getting worse uh, in, in this sort of difficult time of trying to play catch up? Yes. You know, I was looking at the Woodburn School District today. I am always interested in Woodburn because it is um, it was really one of the first places in Oregon where um, it was um, a majority Latino um, in that in that school district. And I have always thought of it as kind of a harbinger for the rest of the state because, um, you know, Oregon is, is, is been slower to change than the rest of the country. But but, you know, we're we're changing. We're changing quickly. Um, unfortunately, in Woodburn, oh, it's going to, uh, last year, um, 10.5% of all kids there met proficiency standards in math, which is, um, as you heard me say, way below even the pretty dismal state level of um, 30%. This year, it's it slipped. It's 8.7%. Um, so it is going to get worse. This is an emergency. And I, I, I feel like I've been shouting that from the rooftops all week. What is frustrating about trying to report on this is that you often have people saying to you, well, these are deep, intractable problems that take time to solve. So, for example, the governor, you know, I asked specifically about um, people who, kids who speak English as a second language today. And the governor's office said, well, the Oregon Department of Education has a new um, migrant education team, and we are working to develop a plan for um, multilingual and migrant education students. And that is terrific. I'm so happy to hear that there is focus on that population. And I don't love the we are working to develop a plan because these kids are in school now. And it's not like we don't know what to do. We do. We know that kids can benefit from in-school tutoring. We know that kids can benefit from an extended school day. We know that kids can benefit from academically rigorous summer school. And yet the legislature chose to actually disinvest from, from summer school this year. So when you say to me, will it get worse? Boy, I hope not. I don't have a crystal ball, but I don't know that I felt the, the, the alarm that I, I thought I would this week from um, education officials statewide. There was a curious wrinkle in, in your story um, where you noted that so many high school students opted out of taking the test uh, that the results aren't considered reliable. I think that's for 11th grade. Correct. Yeah. Uh, why, why do students opt out? And, um, what, what does that tell us? Well, um, you know, it is it, our state laws do make it possible for students to opt out of um, these tests. And certainly by the time kids get to uh, 11th grade, that is um, considerably more common. Um, state education officials 
uh, highlighted participation rates this year, um, and they said they were glad to see those tick up, particularly in the elementary and on some level the middle school level, but um, acknowledge that there's still a lot of work to do um, in uh, addressing um, 11th grade in particular participation rates. And it's, it's, it's a real bummer <laughs> because it just means that we kind of lose that data point um, if under 80% of kids take the test, it's just not as statistically significant, right? And we lose an important data point that can really help inform us about how those kids that are closest to graduation, closest to going to college, um, are, or closest to joining the workforce, are prepared to do so. You mentioned um, some, some numbers that are coming out uh, soon um, that will give more look at uh, students' progress. Um, you uh, also mentioned some of the schools that you're looking to to see, you know, what is behind the improvements that happened here. I guess as you have sort of absorbed and digested these latest test scores, um, what have you been thinking about in terms of, you know, sort of where your reporting might go uh, over the weeks and months to come uh, as a result of what you're seeing now? That is such a good question. What I would like more than anything is something that I'm not sure I'll be able to do. Because what I would really like is to get into, and I, when I say into, I mean into the classroom of the districts that are struggling the most. And um, in particular, um, close to home, um, I think a lot about the kids in East Multnomah County. There's a, a clutch of about five districts out there with you know, their, their scores vary, but consistently below what you see in Portland and on the west side suburbs, right? So I'd like to get in there. I'd like to see what's um, being done now to help those kids. And I'd like to understand more about other factors that are um keeping those kids from being able to um, reach proficiency because um, schools can't solve every problem on their own, right? I mean, one of the things you'll often hear school officials say is, okay, well, we have to start with attendance because no kid's going to learn if they're not in school. So, um, and chronic absenteeism rates are have gone... Uh, you know, test scores may have fallen, but chronic absenteeism rates have skyrocketed since the pandemic. So um, what are these districts doing to get to get kids there? What are they doing to keep them there? What are they doing to help address their social emotional needs? And please tell me how you're helping these kids catch up academically. And I don't know if I'll be able to get that story. I think it's really easy. If I call a district and I'm like, hey, you guys are a bright spot. They can't wait to get me on the phone. They can't wait to talk about it. It's a lot harder to call and say, your kids are struggling and I want to see how what you're doing to make it better. But in a perfect world, that's what would happen. Well, I hope we'll get to read those stories. I think it's important. And thank you, Julia, for uh, taking the time to appear on Beat Check today. Thank you so much for having me, Elliot. I'm so happy to do anything that I can to bring attention to this topic. Well, we'll put links to Julia's coverage of these test scores in the show description. You can find all of her education coverage at OregonLive.com slash education. 
And thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show and tell a friend to help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism and journalism like this is with a subscription to The Oregonian and Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.